God bless you for being here this morning. What I want to talk to you about this morning, I just entitled this by one word out of the uh, out of the text is First Peter chapter one verse one. It's just going to be that one verse. We uh, we may look at a lot of other verses through throughout the Bible, but uh, what I want to talk to you about this morning is strangers, strangers. If you found uh, the text, let's stand for the reverence of the reading of God's Word. It's only one verse. won't keep you up very long. If you're not able to stand, that's all right. God sees your heart. Uh, The Bible says this, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Let's pray. Father, we love you. And we thank You, God, that we are sojourners here in this land, in this world, in this life. God, we are strangers just passing through. God, we have a business here. Uh, Not literally our business, but Your business. And we pray, O God, that You'll open our hearts and our minds. That You'll lead us, guide us, and direct us. Help us, God, to focus more wholly, completely, totally on Your will in this life, in this world. God will give you and you alone the praise and the glory that you and you alone so richly deserve. We pray this in Jesus' name and for His sake. Amen. And you can be seated. Well, I, I think the, uh, the title of the epistle, uh, the first epistle general of Peter, tells it all about who the writer is. Uh, Peter is, is writing this letter, and uh, he's writing it to... The Bible says strangers, strangers that are scattered throughout the then known world. Now, all of these places that he mentions, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia, what we're talking about is the Gentile world uh, of the day. Now, we realize that, that Peter was the apostle to the Jews and not to the Gentiles, and yet here you find him writing to Gentile cities and Gentile peoples. And uh, a lot of people have questioned as to why Peter was doing that. But of course, we realize that that word strangers could mean one of two things. That it it could be talking about uh, the Gentile world that he is uh, writing these letters to. Um, But he also could be talking about people who are strangers to the Word of God. Strangers to the laws of God, strangers to the things of God, to the people of God, the way of God, the will of God. And we realize that that can fall on the shoulders of both Jews and Gentiles. It's not necessarily to a nation or a nationality or a creed or a color of people, but it is a people to whom have just come to a fresh understanding and faith in the salvation that is only found in the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I remember Peter, the story of him, where uh, he had been going fire to fire while the Lord was hanging on the cross, and he was denying the Lord and telling everybody that he could could see that was accusing him of being a follower of Jesus Christ, and he kept denying it and saying, no, 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 I I don't even know that guy. It got so bad that some little girl accused him at one of the fireplaces that he stopped to warm his hands, and he cursed at a little girl told her, I don't even know that guy. He went and got in his boat, went back to his old life, went back to fishing. 
I would say that Peter was a man that even though he was a Jew and was raised under the Jewish law, and under the creed, under the laws, under the testimonies, under the leadership of God in the Old Testament and the, the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the priests and the, the prophets and all of this religiosity that he had in the Old Testament coming up as a Jew. And then all of a sudden he comes to, to this understanding of Jesus Christ. I, I can't believe that Jesus asked him, he says, who do men say that I am? Well, some say you're this, some say you're that, some say you're a prophet. But who do you say I am, Peter? Well, you're the, you're the son of the living God. You're the, you're the son of David. Flesh and bones hadn't revealed that to you, but my Father, which is in heaven, if you know anything about, about me as the Messiah, if you believe that I am the son of David and, and the son of God, all wrapped up into the same package then that's been revealed to you by God and yet we find that same man that tells Jesus Christ I'll never leave you I'll never forsake you well I know that's what God tells us but Peter told him that that I'll be better than everybody else when it gets tough they're going to quit you but not me and yet while Christ was hanging on the cross Jesus had told him before the before the rooster crows you're going to deny me three times and the rooster crowed and he looked up into the face of God and there he hung looking back down at him. And he wept bitterly and he went back to his old life. You see, ultimately, we are a stranger to the holiness of God. We are strangers. Even though we've been raised in church, maybe our fathers were pastors, our mothers were music leaders and Sunday school teachers and we've been taught all of the oracles, the canons of the Scriptures and the laws of God, all of our lives, there's still a part of us that's foreigners to Him. We're strangers to the holiness of God in our lives. And Peter looked up into the face of God and rather than falling on his face before the holiness of God hanging on a cross, he gathered his stuff and he left. And the next day it says that he went back to his old life. And not only he, but even most of the other disciples went with him. And they were out fishing all night long. Hadn't caught any fish. And all of a sudden, somebody on the bank says, Hey guys, what you doing? He says, Well, we're fishing. Have you caught any fish? He says, No, we haven't caught a thing. He says, Well, cast your nets on the right side and you'll, you'll catch. And they were like, Who is this guy? Who does he think he is telling us as professional fishers, fishermen how, how to catch fish when we haven't caught anything all night? But okay, we'll throw one more cast and they threw their nets off and they caught so many fish they couldn't hardly drag them to the boat. And John says, you know who that is? That's our Lord. That's our Savior. That's Jesus. Peter says, no, really? He says, really? And he wrapped a towel around his loins and he dove off the boat and he swam all the way to the bank. He couldn't wait to get to the feet of Christ to confess and to repent for his sins. When he crawled out on the bank, Jesus met him. He says, hey Peter, lovest thou me more than these? Do you love me more than the rest of these other people do the way that you said? He says, Lord, you, you know I like you a lot. He used the word love, but it was the word phileo. He says, Lord, you... You know, I, I love you. Jesus asked him the second time, Do you agape me? 
Do you love me with the love my Father loved you with when He sent me into the world to die for you? Do you love me with that type of love, Peter? You said you did. And Peter says, well, Lord, you know I like you a lot. I, I phileo you a lot. And then the third time, Jesus asked him, He says, do you even like me? He used the word Peter used. He says, do you have any affection for me at all? Do you phileo me? And Peter looked down at his feet and he says, Lord, you, you know my heart more better than, than I know it myself. And all three times, Jesus answered with this statement. He said, feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. What do you feed sheep with? Well, grass, hay, oats, clover. No, you feed them the Word of God. You feed them with the Word of God. And this, this, this epistle, the first epistle of Peter was written as a response to that meeting with Jesus Christ standing on the bank where He asked Him three times, Peter, do you love me? If you love me, feed my sheep. And Peter says, okay, Lord, I understand the message now. I didn't understand when I was running around denying You with my life. I was a stranger to Your holiness. I didn't know who You were. I know you now. And I'll do my best to feed your sheep. So he writes this letter and he sends it out. Of course, we know that he did a lot more than just write this letter. He wrote the second epistle of Peter as well. And then he actually became pastor and reached out verbally, not just black ink on white paper, but with every inch, every ounce, every fiber of his life. He poured himself out on the altar of sacrifice for the glory and honor of God and ultimately wound up being crucified upside down because of his faith in Christ. He, he was a man that, though he was a stranger to the holiness of God that had been raised in, in religiosity all of his life, just like Paul the Apostle, he, he was a religious but a lost man. And I know that because when he, he met the Lord on that bank, he says, when thou art converted, when thou art converted, feed my sheep. And Peter says, you know, I, I, I chase after that I might apprehend that for which I was also apprehended. I realize that I have not accomplished yet. I've not caught what I was caught for. The truth is, Peter wasn't, Paul wasn't, I haven't been, neither of you, been the people of God that God has called us to be. We all falter. We all fail. We all fall short of the glory and honor of God. And God has forgiven us because of the faith that we have placed in His Son and the confession and the repentance of our sins. But when you look at this verse and you understand who it is that Peter is talking to and you realize that he uses that word, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm an apostle. I, I, I am an anointed one that has been called by God to share the gospel, to feed the sheep. And, and I'm trying to feed those sheep that have become, become strangers. Whether they are Jew or Gentile, they are strangers that have been scattered across the planet. You and I have been called just to, just to share the gospel with a lost and dying world. Paul, in the, the epistle of the Ephesians, 
speaks of the Gentile Christians as strangers. Let me read you a verse out of Ephesians chapter 2. Actually, a few verses. It, It reads like this, beginning in verse 11. It says, Wherefore, remember that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision. Now the uncircumcision, that's just the Gentiles. The circumcision, that was the Jews. And they were called the uncircumcision by those who were circumcised, which were the Jews. The circumcision simply means this, that we bear the picture that God drew of the relationship He had with Abraham. There was a covenant that was made between God and Abraham, and that the seal of that covenant was the physical circumcision of the flesh. Abraham was circumcised with a sharp rock at 90 years old. He was serious about his commitment to God and his faith and trust in God, and he followed Him. And these that were called the circumcision, looked down their long religious nose at the uncircumcised, those who had no relationship to God through Abraham. Wherefore, remember that you being in times past Gentiles of the flesh, the old nature, who were called the uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision that had a relationship with God in the flesh made by hands. Verse 12 says this, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. And then he calls them this, strangers. Strangers from the covenants, the law, the commandments, the word of God, the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, but now, but now in Christ, you who were sometimes afar off are made nigh by the blood of Jesus Christ. You see, you were strangers, separated from God by your sin, but because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ, you are brought into the family, into the fold of God. You are brought nigh unto God by grace through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ who hath made both one, Jew and Gentile, and hath broke down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in His flesh the enmity Even the law and commandments contained in the ordinances for up to make of in himself twain one new man brought two groups together, Jews and Gentiles made one new man. Who is that? Christians, people who love God by faith and trust in Jesus Christ. So making peace between the two and that he might reconcile. I love that word reconciliation. Brought back into fellowship not only with each other, Jews and Gentiles, but into fellowship with God by the blood of Christ. And being made reconciled both unto God in one body by the cross. Having slain the enmity, the war, the separation thereby. And came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. For through Him we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God. Do you understand that we as Gentiles at one time were separated from God by our sin? We were in our sin, separated from God. We, I love Romans chapter 6. 
where it, where it talks about, at one time I was dead to God and alive to sin, but now by grace through faith in the finished work of God, I'm alive to, to God and dead to sin. The God has brought me together, reconciled, brought me back into a relationship with Him through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Our time here on this earth, I want you to realize, Peter in chapter 1 and verse 17 same chapter that we started out in, says this. I'll just read it so I don't have to skip a part of it. And if ye uh, call on Father, on the Father, who without respect of persons judgeth according to every man's work, pass the time of your sojourning here in fear. And you see, he calls them sojourners. Pass the time of your sojourning here And we, by grace through faith, coming out of the lost, dead world, separated from God, being grafted in or, or adopted into the family of God, we are no more strangers, we are no more sojourners, we are sojourners in the world that we used to be a, a member of. This, this life, this world, this people used to be our people. You remember what I said about Peter turning his back on the Lord? Going back to his old life, going back to his old people, going back to his old ways, becoming a stranger again to the God that had called him out of that world, called him into fellowship, called him into ministry, called him into service. Listen, people who stand behind the pulpit, the Peters of the world, the priests of the world, the prophets of the world, the teachers of Sunday school of the world, those are not the only ministers. Each and every one of us in this room have been called to be a testimony of what God has done in our hearts, our homes, our families, our lives. And when the going gets tough, what is it that we do? Do we stumble? Do we falter? Do we fail? Do we turn our backs on God hanging on the cross, going back to our fishing boats, going back to our old ways of life, living the life, becoming a stranger again to the holiness and to the righteousness of God and becoming affiliated and acquainted with the ways of the world and going back to who we used to be rather than taking the stand that God has called us to take. And to live the life that God has called us. You see that word sojourning there. If we are sojourners in this life. I know people that have come out of this life and are sojourners in the church. They're just a passing through. They come. They become bench warmers. They might become Alka-Seltzer Christians. Plop, plop, fizz, fizz. They show up for a little while and they disappear. They go back to their old life. They leave the life that they love, the, the things that are really pleasing to the flesh. And they come into the house of God and they affiliate with the people of God. They look like wheat, but they're tares. They were not of us. If they were of us, they would have surely continued with us. But because they were not of us, they went out from us. Back into the world. Back becoming not strangers to the world, but strangers to God, which they've always been. It's an amazing thing how you become a sojourner by leaving the world, leaving your sin, confessing, and turning away from it, coming to church, bending the knee, bowing the head, saying the prayer, getting the baptism, and then you're here for just a little while. But the the love of the flesh, the love of the heart, the love of the things of this life, that's really your life, that's really your people, that's really what you miss. You turn around and go back when you're converted, though. When thou art converted... Is what Jesus told Peter. You see, when you're converted, what is the conversion? Well, that is the indwelling of the power of the Holy Spirit. 
by grace through faith in the finished work on the cross and not denying Him and running fire to fire to the places of the world, the people of the world, and even denying that. I don't even know that guy. I don't know him. How many times do we deny the Lord in our lives every day to the people that need to see Him in our lives? They become sojourners. Once we were strangers to the grace of God. To the holiness of God. To the righteousness of God. But God comes to illuminate, regenerate, wake us up, draw us, convict us of our sins. And when we bend the knee and bow the head and truly surrender our hearts and our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the old things pass away. The Holy Spirit of God literally comes to take up residence on the inside of me. And I become a new creation in Christ Jesus. The love of God is shed abroad in my heart. And I have nothing... Nothing for this world. Oh, I know that the old nature is still there. I didn't kill him. I crucify him every day. And he comes back to life every night. And I have to knock him in the head every morning. I have to kill him every day. It's a fresh murder. I murder myself. Do you kill yourself every day? Paul says, I die daily. For I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me, gave Himself for me. At Ephesians chapter 2, and verse 19, talks about that being dead to sin and alive to God. Ephesians 2.12 speaks of us being dead to God and alive to to sin. Once we were strangers, but the grace of God. But now we are in these matters no more strangers to God, but we have become strangers to this world. My friend, let me ask you this. Does the life that you see other people living, the things that are on television, the things that are going on on the news, do those things hurt your heart? Do they disturb you? Are they just, you know, natural? They're the natural things that go on everywhere, every day in the world. And it's not really cause for alarm. It's not cause for us to, to get up in arms and to take a stand against the flesh and against the world as far as concerning the world. Are we really strangers and pilgrims? That is... We're pilgrims because pilgrims, remember, we're just uh, passing through. I'm just a poor, wayfaring stranger, I believe Miss Amy Lou Harris used to sing that song. I love that. I'm just a poor, wayfaring stranger, just passing through this world of woe. But my home is on the other side, and I have my eyes, I have my focus, I have my heart. My desires fixed not in this life, not in this world. I'm not clinging on to the things of this life, but I'm focused on the things to come. Peter, in chapter 2, verse 11, says this, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. There is a physical, worldly, fleshly lust 
that attacks, bombards our homes, our minds, our wills, our soul. You know what your soul is. You have a body. You're a threefold image of God. The body, the soul, and the spirit. The body is what we walk around in and interact with each other. If I didn't have my body standing by in this pulpit, I'm afraid most of you would run out the back door screaming if you heard me preaching, but I didn't have my body with me. Then you have the, the soul. That's the mind, will, and emotions. That's really the, the, the human spirit. It's the mind, the will, and the emotions. When we were dead in our sin and trespasses, we were a twofold being. We had our body and we had our soul, mind and emotions, but we didn't have, a, we didn't have the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. We're body, soul, and spirit, by grace through faith in the finished work of Christ, now the Holy Spirit of God comes to take up a residence on the inside of us, and we have a new power source, literally living on the inside of us. And it says, Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lust. Yes, but nobody, everybody tells me how to walk in the Spirit. They tell me to walk in the Spirit. Nobody tells me how. Of course, the Bible says this, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we take a step. And as we look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, we take another step. And looking unto Jesus, we continue to take step after step, and a step reiterated is a walk. And as you look unto Jesus, and you're walking, you're walking in the Spirit. But the moment that you take your eyes off of Christ, you fail to be walking in the Spirit. You're walking, but you're still walking in the flesh. You're walking in the mind, will, and emotions of the soul under the leadership and rule of the physical flesh. And we stumble, falter, and fall. And it says, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims in this land. Now, if you're strangers and pilgrims in church from the holiness and righteousness and spirituality that you find in the Word of God and of God Himself, and we're just here because we're, we're pilgrims passing through a, a, a part of our life that one day will evaporate and dry up because we're really not, we're not, we're not wheat. We're, we're tares. We're, we're just sitting on the pew and we're enjoying, you know, the atmosphere for a, a short while. We're just passing through. My friend, if we are pilgrims in this life, in this world, then do we really focus our hearts and our minds and our understanding on the next world more than we do on this one? Are we spending more of our energy more of our strength, more of our power, more of our time, more of our money, more of our, everything that we are. Are we spending our lives and being spent for the glory and honor of God? Revelation chapter 18 and verse 1 through 5 says this, And after these things I saw another angel come down from heaven, having great power, and the earth was lightened with his glory. And he cried mightily with a strong voice saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen and has become the habitation of devils. May I say that America has become Babylon the great? We're living in a world and a nation that has become the habitation of devils. The people that are in control of this world. Not only of America, but all of the world. This whole system is rotten to the core. It says it has become the habitation of devils and the hold of every foul spirit and a cage of every unclean and hateful bird. For all nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. We're talking about the, the whore of Babylon. 
And the kings of this earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the world of this earth are waxed rich through the abundance of her delicacies. And I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come, come out of her, my people. Really? My, my people? God's people? What business has light with darkness? Who are we as the children of God to be intermarrying with the children of the world, with the things of the flesh? Be not partakers of her sins, and that you receive not of her plagues. For her sins have reached unto heaven, and God hath remembered her iniquities. I never understood why immigrants that come to this nation, they come here, and, and, and what they want to do is they want to, they want to come from the south border and South America as well as Mexico or wherever they come from. They can come by sea or by air or by foot, whatever they want to do these days. Nobody's slowing them down, much less stopping them. Now, I'm not into stopping legal immigration. Don't get me wrong. But I have a problem with people that come here from other countries and want to turn this country into the country that they're running from. If you don't like America, then go back to where you come from. I know there are American natives that are saying the same thing. If you don't like our land, give it back. Amen. No, we like your land. We took it. We'll keep it. Thank you. But we want to keep it for the glory and the honor of God. We want to use it for His glory, not ours. And I'm afraid that we have elected and placed people in positions of authority and power in this world, in this nation, that are not using it for the glory and honor of God. It is not one nation under God. And that is exactly why you see this nation falling apart. It is crumbling. It's falling apart at the seams. May I say that the seams are the family. It is the families that hold this nation together. And as the family goes, so goes the nation. And as the families fall apart, so the fall, falling apart of the nation is, is irreversible. You'll never stop it until you start having families loving each other and loving God and serving God the way that God put those families together. But I, I've never understood why people come here and they want to change America to be like the nations that they were where they came from. It's kind of like Peter coming out and coming to the Lord and then saying, oh, well, you know, I don't, I'm not really one of them. I'll go back to fishing. I'll go back to the way I used to live. No, when, when we come out of that and we become the people of God, we want to change the world that we came from into the world that God wants it to be. We don't want to change the world of God into what the world... And we bring stuff into the church. We bring our, our, our worldly values... We treat the church like it's a business. My friend, this is not a business. This is God's business. Don't get me wrong. But it's not your business or my business. This is God's business. And we should be living our lives according to the mandates and dictates of the Word of God and not to the dictates of the world. I know, I'm running over time. But I want you to realize that foreigners... We as God's people are foreigners in this world. 
We should not be conforming the church to look like the world, but we should be conforming the world to look like the church. And to do that, here are six things that foreigners need to do. And may I say, there's a couple of people in the Bible that I looked at while I was doing this study. Joseph and Daniel, and both of them became foreigners, God's people in another land. One of them went under Nebuchadnezzar, uh, Daniel, and uh, of course Joseph went into Egypt. And you know the stories of both of those men. But boy, what, what examples they were of God's people under duress in a world that did not love God. And we're living in a world that does not love God. And we can use their examples of how it is that we should be living our lives for the glory and honor of God. And I want to read you one verse out of Daniel chapter 1 and verse 8. And it says, And Daniel supposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And may I say that we... We should act as though we were Davids and Daniels and Josephs and that we are living in in a world that we do not want to be contaminated with their lifestyles and their hearts and their minds. We see foreigners, first of all, have to have a focus. A focus. Daniel, Joseph, always was focused on their homeland. And our homeland is heaven. Our homeland is Christianity. Our homeland is the Word of God. And as long as our minds and our hearts and our lives are focused on the things of God, then we are strangers and sojourners in this world. And we're conforming this world to the glory and honor of God and to His image and to His likeness. So we must keep our focus. We must stay separated. A foreigner differs in the way we dress, the way we walk, the way we talk, the way we look, the way we act, the things we do, the places we go, the things we eat, the things we drink. All of those things are different in our lives. There is a come out from amongst them and be separate, saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing. I'll be unto you a God and you'll be unto me a people. But if you blend in with the world, are you actually following after the God that the world rejects? I believe that we should stand out like a pig in a parachute. That when people look at us, they see something different. They might like it. They might not like it. Doesn't matter. We're called to be it. We're called to live it. We're called to detachment. That means that we don't take, we don't take root here. You know, we're detached. We're not, we're not an oak tree planted in this land. But we are sojourners passing through. Have you ever seen an oak tree pull up his roots and skip across the ground getting where he's going? No. No. We're not planted in this world. We're not planted in this life. And we plant ourselves by our minds and by our hearts and by our love and by the things that, that we cling to with every ounce, every inch, every fiber of our being. We have a loyalty as sojourners, as foreigners to the land that we are going to. Not to the land that we are in. We have a love for the literature of our homeland. I know some people like to read Shakespeare. Some people like to read Harlequin romances. Some people like to read westerns. 
And I suppose to some degree, there's not anything really bad wrong with some of those things. But when we start reading the Sunday morning newspaper and spending more time in the newspaper than we do in the Word of God, we've got an issue, we've got a problem. Are we, are we really spending and being spent our time, our talent, our efforts, our minds, our hearts? Are we spending and being spent? Are we loyal to God, to the Word of God, to the literature of our home? Lastly, we see in foreigners a fellowship. And by fellowship, I'm talking about exactly what we're doing here this morning. We gather together with like-minded people. We, we, love this, we love this family. I want you to know something. I'm more attached to this family than I am to my family that came from my mother and my father's loins. My blood relatives... I spend more time focused on this group of people than I do that group. Is that wrong? Well, the Bible says it's not. The Bible says if you're going to be my disciple, you've got to what? I came not to bring peace to the world, but a sword. That mother shall rise up against daughter, and daughter against mother, and and son against father, and mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and they of your own family will be your enemies. Why? Because some of my blood kin do not love God. They don't love the Lord. They're not going to church this morning. And if they're not going to church this morning, I don't know where they are, but I ain't going to be with them, alright? I'm going to be with you. Because you choose the Lord. Because you choose what's most important. I don't know if you look at it like that. That if it boils down to it, and it, it, it will, it will boil down to it one day. Choose you this day whom you shall choose. Whether it be the gods on the other side of the flood where you came from. Or whether it be the God of Abraham and Jacob. Moses and David, Peter, Paul, John. It's going to be Jesus. I can't answer is what Joshua said. But as for me and my house, you see, I can only really choose for me. I can choose for my house as far as me pouring my heart out. My life out, my knowledge, my understanding, the things that God has placed in my heart and in my mind. I can pour that into their hearts and into their minds. But ultimately, I can only choose for me where I'm going to spend eternity. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14 through 18 reads like this, and you'll have the message. Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? What communion hath light with darkness? What concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? 
For you are the temple of God, the living God that lives on the inside of you. As God hath said, I will dwell in them and walk in them and I will be their God and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them and be ye separate. Saith the Lord, touch not the unclean thing and I will receive you and will be a father unto you and you shall be my sons and my daughters. Saith Almighty God, let's pray. Father, we love You. We thank You that we only love You because You first loved us. Help us, God, to be submissive to Your will, to Your way. Help us, God, to make a determined, to draw a line as to which side of it we're going to be on. Whether we're going to be strangers to the holiness of God or whether we're going to be strangers to the sinfulness of this world. Help us, God, to choose wisely. We'll praise you for that. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.